Well, hello everybody, it's Roscoe here, your host of the My Love of Golf podcast, and thank you for tuning in for another episode. Today's episode is a little bit different. It's not me doing the interviewing, it's somebody interviewing me. Yes, it's Steve Smith from the new podcast, new Australian golf podcast, The Golfing Greenkeeper. The Golfing Greenkeeper podcast is, as I said, a new project from Steve, and Steve is a greenkeeping expert, uh, a former superintendent, and he's someone who has a real passion for that side of the game, helping people like everyday golfers like you and me understand what it takes to keep a golf course at its most pristine condition, some of the challenges that the people in the trade face to help present golf courses to us in the best possible way week in, week out. He helps us understand a little bit about the differences in the golf course uh, landscape, you know, the difference between golf courses and grass and grass types in Queensland versus down here in Victoria and New South Wales and all over the place. There's a whole load of information that I'm sure as golfers you will find very, very valuable. Now, Steve wanted to reach out to me and do an interview about the My Love of Golf podcast so he can put that on his podcast. So I thought maybe it's an opportunity for me to play that to you, primarily to help you understand and learn about Steve's podcast, but maybe a little bit you might want to understand about me, my backstory. We talk about how I got into golf. We talk about a little bit of my career background and how some of that influences what I do today. And we talk about, you know, my thoughts around golf and the future of golf and the state of the game and what I think are some of the key things that golf can do to help golf be a great place for everybody in now and in the future. So two passionate golfers just talking about golf. That's what it is. I hope you enjoy listening to someone else interview me. Yep, that's Stevie Smith from The Golfing Greenkeeper. Jump over and check Steve's podcast out. It's a good one. He's just started up. It's about the fourth episode. So give him a crack. Put him in your uh, rotation. Have a listen and enjoy. Thanks for listening. Jump over to iTunes. Leave us a review. Ask a question. Leave me an Instagram message or a like. I love all of that. It really does make me realize that you are listening and it keeps me turning up week in, week out to deliver some golf-related content hopefully that you can listen to when you're on the gym now that we can go back to gyms on your commute or just sitting back with a glass of whiskey or a cup of tea or whatever your tipple is i just hope you enjoy listening so thanks very much for your support and i'll see you next week on the my love of golf podcast Ladies and gentlemen, look, I mentioned that uh, on the podcast I was going to have a special guest, Ross Flanagan. Now, Ross is um, the guy who, if, you, if you're a bit of a podcast listener, as I said in my introduction to the, to the episode, Ross is a, a podcaster with the My Love of Golf podcast, and he's also joins on another podcast as a co-host for the Mental Mastery podcast with Jamie Glazier. Now, Roscoe's kind enough to join us, and I've got Ross on the line. He's uh, he's sort of dialed in as it was. G'day, Ross. Welcome. G'day, Steve. How are you, buddy? Thanks for having me on. We're looking forward to catching up with you. Looking good there. We're doing this via Zoom, this great technology that uh, I think we've all started using, and it's good to be able to see your, your smiling face there, buddy. I do appreciate <laughs> well, your time. We- we are. Thank you, mate. No, thank you very much. It's uh, this this medium of doing a video and and uh, being able to record at the same time is pretty cool. It's uh, 
and just sort of framing for everyone who's listening in, you've got this really cool backdrop you've sorted out on the on the Zoom video. Where is that, mate? That, that looks really awesome. Yeah, it's one of two uh, or three actual go-to backdrops for me. Uh, but this one is North Berwick, uh, one of my favourite golf courses on the planet. Uh, I said to someone the other day, you know, I was on their podcast, uh, which hasn't come out yet, but uh, that I said, if you could drop me anywhere and I would never play another golf course in my life, it would be North Berwick. So I use that one as my uh, backdrop sometimes. The other one, obviously, Peninsula Kingswood, another another home track of mine. So, yeah, it's North Berwick. It's the first green looking over the second fairway. Beautiful place. No, that's awesome, mate. It's um, That's really cool. I do like it. It's just a, a cool effect that you can do, and, and these are all the things that – people are learning to do differently with the zoom and with videos and podcasts and yeah, just another element, mate. It's awesome. So look, mate, um, I'll get started. We'll fire into it. This time you're the interviewee, which is different uh, a little bit for you. I know uh, mate. it's, it's nice. It's good to be on the <laughs> other end. It's usually me having to do all the hard work, asking the questions and uh, <laughs> racking my brain and, you know, directing where I go and what do I say now and not, I mean, uh, all that sort of stuff. And, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's nice to be on the other end. Uh, you know, I feel quite relaxed. That's uh, good. You're, no, the pressure's no, all on you, buddy. Mate. Like I said, I, uh, I thank you for coming on and really looking forward to sort of chatting about you and, and learning a little bit about you and the passion behind you and golf. So, um, mate, look, let's, for, for those that don't know you, who's Ross Flanagan? And, and sort of because you, this is golf and, and, and I'm a big fan of golf and the people in it and all the different aspects of golf. How did you first get into golf? What what got you into the great game? Well, like many of us, you know, that started golf as a child, I was influenced to play golf by my dad. Uh, my yep. dad and mum both immigrated to Australia uh, from Scotland. My dad came here to play semi-professional football up in the Hunter Valley. And being a Scotsman, you know, one of his pastimes was golf. So, you know, like a lot of the sporting code people that you know and you see now, you know, when they weren't playing football, soccer football or working, the other Scotsmen that were in the team would go and have a game of golf. So, yeah, he was he was a golfer. Or he is a golfer and he introduced me to the game of golf at uh, Cessnock Golf Club. I remember as a child, you know, mum not being a passionate golfer and, you know, when I got the opportunity to go to golf with dad, that was her little, uh, her little break. So she was happy to see me go off and follow dad around on the golf course. I wasn't really playing too much, but he would take me out and I remember sitting on his buggy and that just transpired into me being a golfer you know one day I remember coming home and there was a little set of golf clubs there for my birthday and you know the age of the golf clubs they weren't hickories but they weren't much newer than hickories let's put it that way uh, a little <laughs> half set little five seven and a sort of mashy spoony type nine iron thing uh, an old wood and a little blue bag you know that the little types of blue bags that you vinyl bags that you you know oval shape yep. that you find in op shops now that i wish i still had it but that was my first golf kit mate and uh mate they're antiques that sort of thing yeah. people pay a fortune for well, that stuff now i'm a pretty old fellow mate so that's uh, <laughs> I was, it was a while ago but yeah that was that dad got me into golf and and then when my brother came along there's a few years difference to us he's seven years younger than me he got into golf and then mum eventually got into golf and we became a, a golfing family uh dad you know, became the president of the golf club for a stint there. So we were pretty involved in golf in, in the local community up there in the Hunter Valley at Cessnock, which is, uh, you know, my hometown, but Melbourne's my hometown now and has been for, oh, geez, 20, 20 odd years now. So, yeah, that's that's my background, how I got into golf. And, yep. uh, you know, I just played as, as a junior. You know, we had a very good junior section at Cessnock Golf Club. Uh, it was led by a man who I still hold in the highest regards, uh, John Linnitz and his family. Now, John okay. Linnitz, and if you've played golf as a junior in and around Cessnock in the 80s and 90s, 
you know, John Lennonson is a name that doesn't necessarily always come to mind quickly, but uh, he was one of the guys that really made that Jack Newton Junior Golf Foundation yeah, an okay. annual tournament a big thing. So, you know, John Lennonson and his family, Ray and uh, you know, his wife and, and Dale, you know, his daughter who's my age who now lives in Melbourne who was a very, very good golfer herself, that family just put junior golf on the map for, for me and a whole host of other kids in the town and it was, it was just our, our thing to do. So that was really influential as, as me being a golfer as a kid and then I gave up. I gave you up. Got just as, as you grew up, I suppose, that's, sometimes that's what happens? Yeah, it was. I, I was lucky in that junior golf environment, Steve, to, to be around and be exposed to junior golfers at the highest level. You know, as I said, that Jack Newton sub-junior classic that we hosted in Cessnock every year, it was, I'm not sure of its status now, to be fair, but it was at the time the biggest junior golf tournament in Australia. And we would host all of the teams from all of the states, even internationally, uh, in the end of wow. it there. So we were hanging around, you know, people like Mark Hensby, uh, Gabriel Hertzstedt, who's come used to come and stay at my place, you know, two-time PGA Tour winner, um, a whole host of guys that used to, you know, play at the highest level. And I guess I had visions of playing golf at the highest level, but I, I wasn't, I wasn't quite good enough. And I recognised that. And I guess yep. when I recognised that, I had the opportunity to go and do a traineeship. The pro at the golf club offered me the chance to leave school and go and work in his shop. And then when I turned 17, do a traineeship, but I stayed at school. And in staying at school to do year 11 and 12, uh, you know, I started to get involved in all the other things that come around when you get to that age, Steve, you know, like uh, girls uh, playing <laughs> playing golf didn't, was all of a sudden not cool anymore to me. So I started playing yeah. rug- rugby league and I started playing water polo and, you know, yeah. a whole heap of other stuff, drinking VB cans and, you know, the rest is history, mate, riding motorbikes and... Yeah, yeah that's it. And you, and you you do, you explore as you become a young adult, you, you're looking yeah. at... Like you said, I think sometimes it, it does become uncool, for want of a better way of saying it, in different in different parts of the country. If it's not a, even though Cessnock, um, like you talked about, the junior development side of things, then and I remember when I was young in the Blue Mountains, we had a big drive of of juniors and that. But once you, I, I don't know, but that adolescence and and, and early um, sort of adulthood, you you're looking at different things and and all sorts of other things crowd your mind. So you you're sort of growing and and exploring. I scored two tries playing a rugby league match in front of the school, Steve, and, and that uh, I liked that. And I thought I was going to be a rugby <laughs> league player for the Manly Warringah Seagulls, which we share a common interest well, in. We, and, we do, yes. And once again, I was kidding myself, but uh, that was that that was a fleeting moment. So, but I just once I finished school, Steve, I, I moved to Sydney to, um, for work. I, I I wasn't going to be a coal miner. Uh, I wasn't going to follow my dad into the wine industry. So I moved to Sydney for work. Uh, then I started riding motorcycles because that was yep. the most economical an easy form of transport for me. That's all I could afford. And yep. uh, and that then led me into riding bikes, having an interest in motorcycles. Obviously, in Cessnock's a big motorcycle area as well, so they were all, always around. Started riding bikes, and then I got a job in the motorcycle industry, and that really then took me on another pathway. Golf just became a pastime, which I still had the ability to do, and we still played golf occasionally, not very often. Yep. But... Um, that took me into an automotive industry career for you know twenty odd years. So, golf then was just a pastime. I had a career in the in the motorcycle industry and then the car industry. I worked for Mercedes Benz for twelve years, which was a great experience. You know, I worked with Nissan starting the Infinity car brand here in Australia. That was a great experience. Wow! But but through that time, you know, I had a lot of good mentors and a lot of good training, a lot of good experience. 
saw the world. It was awesome. I really loved it. You know, like how could you not love working for a couple of the biggest car brands in the world? Yeah, for sure. But, um, I was always – I started playing golf again. Yeah, so you asked me how I got started. I'm sort of getting to the – getting to yeah, how yeah, I got but, into well, it now. But um, I started playing golf again as an adult when I moved down to where I am now in Mount Eliza, which is the top end of the Mornington Peninsula. And I just wanted a pastime. I wanted to reconnect with some – some adults and and play a bit of sport and be active and just do something on the weekend. And uh, I joined down at Mornington Golf Club, which is just down the road, and that really rekindled my addiction for the game of golf. I, I reignited yep. that passion, you know, like hitting hitting long bombs off the first tee at uh, Mornington, <laughs> trying to drive the green, became addictive. And I just became, you know, a bit of a figure, not a figure, but I, one of the members at the club and playing there and playing pennant for Mornington. And that rekindled my addiction for golf. And then the business side of thing kicked in, and and that's where I sort of find myself now. Yeah, okay, and 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 like you said, I, I was sort of going to get to where you are now. You're a golf business, a retail golf business owner, um, and you're in that retail space. You know, um, those that was sort of the kind of steps. Did you always want to get into the business side of golf, or was that something that it was an opportunity for you? Yeah, it was an opportunity, and. What I always wanted to do was a couple of things. I wanted to be somewhat self-employed, you know, having yep. worked for, for big corporations and at various levels um, with very, various degrees of success, I had wanted to work for myself. And then I wanted to do golf. So I wanted to play more golf and be around golf all the time, you know, that that's how much the addiction took over. You know, Mercedes-Benz, for example, you know, like I was known as the golf guy, you know, I'd go into a Mercedes-Benz <laughs> dealership to do business and end up talking about golf for half an hour and and that's how they sort of viewed me I thought well, there's something in this I've got to scratch this itch and and one thing one day a conversation on the putting green at uh, Peninsula Kingswood with uh, my now business partner just started a process of you know joining the drum and golf network as a franchisee as a as an owner operator of one of their uh, franchises and that was yeah nearly six years ago and really haven't looked back since um yeah so yeah, I, get, okay. I get, you know, like I've always, you know, my motto has always been to work in areas where my passion's been the strongest. Yeah. And if you look back at those areas that I, I spoke about before, you know, motorcycles, I love motorcycles. I love riding the freedom of riding motorcycles. It was it was just a, a really great time, eight or nine years working all around the country for Suzuki. I wanted to get into the car industry. Well, I went and worked for Mercedes-Benz for 12 years. I loved those cars. I was fascinated by Mercedes-Benz because... My dad used to drive Bruce Tyrrell's Mercedes-Benz home occasionally and uh, he showed me the, the windows that would go up and down by themselves, you know, like press the button here, Ross, and the window would go up. Um, <laughs> doors that you couldn't slam. And I just got fascinated by Mercedes-Benz. Yeah. So I got a job with Mercedes-Benz. And then I got fa- fascinated by business. That's when we started the Infinity brand. And then I wanted my own business. So, yeah, and golf yeah. was the thing. So I've always been in sort of an area that I'm passionate about. And, you know, and that's led me to, you know, sitting here, you know, on a podcast with you, being in the golf industry, wanting to do something that contributes to that landscape. Uh, you know, I'm not a great mathematician, but I'm a reasonable communicator. So I thought I'd just, you know, try my hand at this podcasting game and, you know, I, I'm lucky enough to get access and get exposure to some great products, some great people, and, uh, you know, maybe the ability to share and tell a story. And I just thought I'd uh, turn my hand to that, mate, and, and start the My Love of Golf podcast. I, do, I started it with my son, it was fairly agricultural when we started, you know, a little recorder and he would help with yep. all, the, all of the mixing. He's a student and uh, and that was a great thing for us to do together and and here we are now. I've got a 
you know, expensive microphone and a little mixing <laughs> desk or you can hear the music playing underneath hopefully and <laughs> I'm still learning, mate. I'm still learning. Oh, mate, it's the world of podcasting is uh, is very intriguing and, and like you said, once you get into it. So, and I look, I, I want to touch on a few things there and the go- I've, I've been to your, your shop, you're in the Melbourne City, uh, your drum and golf in, in the Melbourne City there yeah. and um, I think, I'll t- I'm curious to pick your brains about retail golf a little bit because I remember my exposure as a kid of retail golf in the Blue Mountains, a bit like you, country, um, and all I knew was pro shop. Pro shop was that was it. If you if you wanted anything, you would go to the pro shop at your local club or a club nearby or something, and and someone would know a pro somewhere who had a shop with this type of gear or that type of gear, or there was trade, you know, a demo day with a with a brand or something. And there was some of that was like I know Drummond has been around for a little while, and there's a couple of other brands in Australia that have, been, that have got a name for it for quite a number of years. But now I feel that there's really this this if you want something golf because the world's smaller with the internet and 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 certainly retail side of things as well. If you want something golf, it's it's nearly you you kind of first think where's where's a big sh- a big retail golf shop it's, it's almost like walking into a bunning some of these places for for golf there's so much to pick from and I'll, I'll i'll touch on yours a little bit because i can and that's you've got things like simulators now in in shops and and people can come and play golf they can bring their, their clubs i think and sort of practice themselves or they can play with friends they can they can see what is available at their fingertips it's it's I'll call it Bunnings. It, it really it, it fascinates me from a retail sense. What's what's around and how immersive golf retail has become. Yeah, well, I can't speak for the other brands because you know I've not really uh, experienced them sure. uh, in the last time. But I can speak at length about you know what Drum and Golf's contribution towards golf is in Australia, and you know it's more than just the retail landscape. You know, Drum and Golf you know, really do see themselves as a and brand that contributes to the golf space in Australia. You know, they partner with Golf Australia. Most of the events, the pro events, you see there's some level of sponsorship and, and um, you know, complementary um, associations that are brought about by Drum and Golf. So they really do contribute to the broader landscape. But as a retail organisation, you know, they're obviously and clearly the biggest off-course retail organisation in Australia. They are all yep. owner-operated stores, so... I think I sometimes read on some forums and whatever that people think that Drum and Golf is this massive corporation and they own it, own everything and all the money, you know, all that sort of stuff. That everyone that is in a store as a franchisee, you know, has some skin in the game in terms of yep. financial investment. So they've got an, a real interest in, you know, the operation of that business, and the businesses are growing. Uh, you know, the days of small shops being everywhere, you know, Drum and Golf or not Drum and Golf, though, that they're really hard to operate. They're big businesses and they're and they're hard to operate, you know, there's a lot of stock, there's a lot of brands, there's a lot of things that you have to do, know and represent. It makes them reasonably complex in the golf space. So they do have everything. They do represent <clears throat> pretty much 99% of all the brands, excuse me. <clears throat> and um, But the real focus is, Steve, is the customer experience. You know, at the yeah. centre of every drum and golf store is the customer and the experience that we provide around that. And the best way to provide an experience for a customer is to have a great range of products, have great pricing, and then have a great facility that people can, you know, really see as a one-stop shop. So you talk about simulators there. So most, a lot of maybe 20 20 stores now will have 
full swing golf simulators installed inside as as a big swing golf franchise. So that's a, wow. a business in a business. That's that's an entertainment yep. venue which sits yep. alongside Drummer Golf. So, you know, you can okay. go and play golf, practice golf, get a lesson. So you really can do everything that you can almost foreseeably do at a golf course. You can do it in a, in a big swing golf venue. You can play 18 holes of golf at Pebble Beach. You can get a golf <laughs> lesson. You can practice on the range. You can practice your chipping. Um, you can have a beer. You can have a have a party. You can do all of those sorts of Unbelievable. things. Unbelievable. So that really does add to the customer experience uh, section, especially in this time where we're time poor, COVID time is going to put another dimension when we open the stores back up for Big Swing Golf again. Um, yeah. That'll add another dimension of, for people wanting to do golf safely and do it at a time that's convenient to them. Golf's pretty yep. bu- golf's pretty busy at the moment, so it's hard to get a tea time. So Big Swing Golf. And then the, and then the store, you know, like we just – you mentioned the internet. People, people always ask me, oh, how do you find the internet? How do you find the internet? And – the internet's a thing, you know, in all of our lives, in everything that we do. Whether you're buying a car, whether you're buying a house, whether you're buying a golf club or anything, the internet is a thing. But the thing about golf, it's tactile, right? You know, you want to yep. see it, you want to touch it, you want to have a hit of it, you want to have an experience with it. And I see a lot of people weekly that have bought golf clubs online that they haven't been fitted for, they didn't perform the way that they did, trading them in, selling them and all that sort of thing, and then coming and going, I should have come here and got fitted. I should have come here and tested it out. And we've got, in my store at least, we've got hundreds of demo heads and shafts and all of that sort of thing that you can try. And that's part of the experience. And, you know, when we mentioned price, that's another part of the experience. You know, Drummer Golf have got a policy, and this isn't a Drummer Golf thing. This is just telling you, answering your question. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, they've got a lowest price guarantee. So if there's anything online that you see, They've got a policy in place, like a like a Dan Murphy's. You know, they've researched yep. Dan, Dan Murphy's. You, you you look at Dan Murphy's, and you don't necessarily always see see that as the as the cheapest store. It doesn't have a positioning or a perception as the cheap store, but they have a lowest price guarantee. Bunnings has a lowest price guarantee. Drummer Golf has sure. a lowest price price guarantee. So that's yep. that's what retail is. You know, in the snapshot, if that paints the picture in my mind, my mind, I love it. I love you know talking to people. I love helping people, and that's my main modus operandi is talking to people about golf and helping people, and I get the opportunity to do that. In the absence of being able to be a golf pro and, and be a coach, which is probably what I would have liked to have been, um, I don't do lessons, of course, but yeah, I get to yeah. talk to people about golf and therefore help them, so I really enjoy that. Yeah, mate, and and like I said, I, 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 I find the retail side of it now quite interesting. Like I said, there's so many different – parts and components to it's it's an experience now yeah. it's the and i think that's a good thing i i think it, there's certainly some people out there that that think retail's you know not the quite the right angle for them to go and research their stuff they still like to go to their local pro or their pro shop and that's good everything has a has a has a has a place in golf and i think the retail side of it has really turned its way around to become uh, a place to go to where it, it is informative. It, it, it is a good place to to really understand what's out there, learn about what equipment there is, and and you can enjoy yourself there as well. I, I've been to Top Golf on the Gold Coast, and that's an entertainment venue. Um, and like you said, the big big swing golf is is a component that's available in some stores, and you can entertain yourself and your friends there just the same. And and it's just I, anything that gets for me. I'm big on golf and and getting people engaged in the sport. And if there's anything that and anywhere in the space that does that well and can improve people's experience, 
I'm all for it. I just think it's a great thing. If you can go shopping for a golf club and it's pouring rain outside and it's 7 o'clock at night because you did a late shift or something, you can go and try the club and, and you can try it up against your own stuff. And it's inside. You don't need to worry about daylight, weather, whatever. It's I, I think all these things are good. And, and I think um, seeing yourself and, and, and getting to know you as a person, and like you said, you're like talking to people and, and you engage with people. I think that's that's a it's a really good thing as a customer as well to because you see that passion. I walked into your store and it's not just you; it's your staff, and I I, I felt comfortable. I felt comfortable immediately, and I wanted to say I was I was I'm not a big person that goes into retail shops to go shopping for golf stuff. I I'm, I've got my set. I've had it for a while. I probably should update it. It's it's getting very old now, but when I walked into your sh- your store, I I felt like. I'd just gone to a new golf course I hadn't seen before. That That's sort of kind of the feeling I got. And there was people that, that loved the game and wanted to talk to me about it and, and sh- you you know show me around the, the shop and, and the equipment. And, and I just think that's all good things. I, I think it's really good. And, and I'll I'll talk about what you've got down there in Melbourne because you're in, I think it's on the north side of the city. Is that right? Just on the north side? I don't know Melbourne that well. Yeah, well, there are. I think there are nine or ten stores in Victoria, in Melbourne. Sorry, in the in around the suburbs, but the Drummer Golf Melbourne store is in the CBD in Franklin Street, which is up near the Queen Vic Market. If most people can orient themselves towards okay. Queen Vic Market, up that way. So, yeah, the north side. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. So, no, look, I I just think what you've got's great, and I think um, being part of that improved and in, um, better experience for for people in retail golf, I think, is a great thing. And I just think, mate, you, you know, I love seeing that part of it, and I think. For you, what I see in you is is you your passion comes out through the retail side, but you get a, a really good cross section of golf because you you're a member of Peninsula Kingswood as you as you said in in Melbourne, um, and you're in the retail space and you do the podcast. So you get to really experience a lot of opinions on people. You get a good cross section of the of the golf scape, the golf landscape. How do you sort of take all that on do you enjoy that side of it like you said you like talking to people the podcast all that sort of thing do you enjoy seeing all the different angles that people talk about and where they come from oh, i love it because it's it's how you learn you know like it's how you how you're able to gain knowledge then which allows you then to contribute to the landscape you know like i see a lot of new golfers so i get a good understanding of you know how they view the game how they perceive the barriers to entry to the game, how they, what they enjoy about the game. So I get a really good understanding there. So I can, you know, use that as knowledge to then help overcome those challenges. When someone comes in and says, I'm not sure about golf as a, as a game or how I do it, you know, I can advise them pretty accurately on yeah. how to do it and, and using other people's knowledge to then, you know, reframe that to help them be comfortable basically um, in terms of that. You know, at the higher end, you know, getting access to, you know, the reps and the brands and getting some information about the products and, and how they work and what makes a, a sim driver a sim driver versus a maverick driver versus a speed zone, etc. You know, that's, I find that really interesting from a technical side. You know, mm. going back to my Mercedes-Benz cars, you know, you don't have an interest or a passion in Mercedes-Benz without having some, you know, desire to understand how they work and operate. And, and I yep. use that in the golfing sense and to be able to pass that information on. And I still, I still, uh, you know, people, people have an understanding of brands and understanding of golf club. There's still a minority of people that really sort of 
understand how a lot of the technology works. So just being able to, to peel off one or two bits of information about a golf club and how that's designed to help someone or improve their game and, and then show them and demonstrate that, you know, that is a, that is a massive thing for me. Um, makes me smile when I, when I see someone, you know, gain some meterage or hit the ball a little bit straighter, um, you know, and understand why their older club might not be helping them be better and showing yep. them, you know, you've got to make an investment here and it's a lot of money, I get that, but it's going to help your game and that's important yeah. because, you know, people like improving in golf, you know, people like doing golf and being better at it and, and, yeah. equi- and equipment is undeniably a part of that for, yep. for many people. For many people, some people, you know, can play with 30-, 40-year-old clubs and still play off scratch and do all that sort of thing yeah. and that's fine. There's, there's, yeah. there's but, but a lot of people in their evolution, you know, and there's a big chunk of people that aren't, you know, four or less handicappers, you know, they're the one percenters. The big pe- big chunk of people are 15 to 35 handicap. And mm-hmm. it's a great place to be able to help, you know, people like that be better at golf and understand golf a bit better. And and even even little things for me like, you know, with the podcast and having access to courses and travelling and different environments and being able to articulate that and help people, if they come in saying, oh, we're going to Scotland, we're not sure where to go, and my staff will just go, oh, just go and talk to him. Yeah, just go over there. He's the one you want to talk to. And, you know, that doesn't cost anything. You know, like you come in and get yeah. that information. People walk out without buying something in that case and they ha- they've got all this information and they and they walk out going, oh, wow, they don't, you know, they don't expect to get something like that. So yeah. that's what I love doing. I love being able to articulate, you know, and I haven't travelled too, too extensively for golf, but, you know, certainly to Ireland, certainly to Scotland and certainly as a, as a 15 year old to America to play golf. Um, so I can talk about that. Yeah, no, that's great. That's awesome. I, I, I love the the passion that oozes out of you about helping people in the game in, in any way that you can, like you said, whether it's working out where's a place to go and play in another country through your experience or equipment or just, just helping them out and meeting new people and, you know, go and, you know, catch up with so-and-so and they'll, they'll show you around the place. So I had, that, I had, I had good training. Really good. It, it just comes from good training, mate. It just comes from good training, you know, like it didn't, obviously happen, you know, walking into a drumming store and, and giving good service. Sure. That's part of their model. That's a, that's a given, but you know, it's probably not, you know, everyone has their own customer experiences in all businesses and, you know, you hear the positives and the negatives, but for me, it just comes with good training, you know, like working for a brand like Mercedes Benz, uh, you don't sell cars without having good customer service. So I was involved in that, in that environment with Mercedes Benz for, you know, three or four years as part of my role. My dad, yep. you know, I watched my dad, my dad was a massive influence, uh, on how to talk to people, how to treat okay. people. You know, I worked alongside my dad at Tyrrell's there for three or four years on a Saturday, um, doing the winery tour. So I would take I was a, I was a seventeen year old taking groups of twenty people around the winery doing winery tours, and I only knew <laughs> how to do that because I watched my dad do it. So he, yeah, he, yeah, you know, he taught me how to talk to people and how to be nice to people and what customer service is all about. So I'm just I just do that, mate. I just do what I got told by my mentors. Yeah, and that look, and and you've no doubt had some great ones along the way, and and certainly no bigger by the sounds than your own father, which is wonderful. It's and it's as good, you know. You come from those. Your 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 life's journey has been through a number of different industries mm-hmm. and through different uh, workplaces, starting off with wines and and even younger days in golf, and and some of your connections. And I, and I know that you know you, you mentioned. Um, with the Jack Newton days and that sort of stuff and being involved with the club at Cessnock and, and all those things, they all add up to to what you are. I suppose we're all product of our own environment um, at the end of the day. If you're open-minded and, and I suppose I'll say it cluey enough to 
to pick up on those things and, and take those those learning points in life, then you 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 know you get to a point where you feel good. I love I love where I can do it in what I do. You know, landscape gardening and golf and and horticulture. I love helping people out, and and it, I get a bit of a kick out of it. And it sounds like, yeah, exactly that. You get a kick out of helping people with your knowledge and. and yeah. But you're you're doing a great thing, you know. You're you're turning your passion into providing information and entertainment for for people who, you know, want to learn about your space. You know, yeah. It, it's sort of like my analogy with the equipment. You know, people know a little bit about equipment, and when you can tell them more about the equipment, and then they understand more and understand the benefits and the reasons, blah blah blah. Well, that's what you're doing. You know, you you understand. You're an expert in your field of of greenkeeping and and the golf course environment and everything that makes a golf course what some some of us take for granted, right? We just turn up, pay our membership, pay our fees, rock on, you know, hopefully the, the greens are great, the fairways are great, go away, shoot whatever you shoot and, and yeah. see you later. But you and I know, I know because I watched my brother do it as a career for, you know, however yeah. many years, I know you well enough now to know how, how you see the golf course and the built environment. You're an expert in that space and people like me want to know more. People mm. like my customers want to know more, and when they know more, they go, "Oh, right." You know what happens then? Yeah. They respect the place a little bit more. They fill another divot yeah. in. They pop exactly. up another hole, and they learn. And yeah. when you learn about golf, you want to be more engaged with it. Simple. Yeah, yeah, no, I I do agree with it, and there's so many parts to it, and and um, you know, part of the, that's part of this conversation is anyone listening hopefully will learn more and more as well. So, and that's a good thing, mate. I, I want to move to the podcast, and, and you mentioned it sort of. It was something that you and your son started together with. Tell me how that what what was the concept behind? I suppose of all the different mediums, there's this podcast, which is I'm going to say it's it's internet radio um, for want of dumbing it down a little bit. And I don't mean that in a harsh way because I love listening to them, and obviously I love doing them as well. But um, you got into it with your son. You you know, what, tell us a little bit about the the why why podcasts in the way that you're doing it. Well, I can tell I can answer that. My son, who helped me and still helps me absolutely very much, but he helped me more so in the in the early days. I was trying to influence him as much as anything. He had started his uni career, he'd finished high school, he was going to uni to do media communications. He is a, a football, a soccer football fanatic, and that's his niche. That's his passion. He had got some little um uh, what do you call them, intern roles in some football media space. So I was just trying to be a good mentor to him like my dad was to me. You know, he's come and gone between two houses for most of his life, so, you know, we don't see each other every day. So I want to try and make the best of it. And I just felt that as a way that maybe we could do this podcasting concept and he could help me and that would give us something to work towards and it was a common interest. So that was probably one of the key motivations. The other thing is, you know, I live in – top end of the morning to Peninsula, obviously businesses in the city, you know, five and six days a week at the time, not, not, I'm not six days a week anymore, sometimes five, mostly four, but um, in and out of the city, two hours in a car. I just remember getting to the stage where I was listening to the radio that was on and I won't say who I was listening to because I changed it around a bit, but traffic, time, I was getting so frustrated. It was bringing me down. It was a terrible way to start my day. Yeah. And I, I rediscovered listening to podcasts, I I dabbled in it years ago when they first come out and I sort of pushed it aside and then I started listening to them again. I started listening to some entrepreneurial ones, some golf ones and a whole heap of different ones and it, I got to the end of it and I didn't want to get out of the car. 
I couldn't wait to get into the car and, and spend two hours in it in the morning because I got to listen to this great information. And that's, yep. I guess, the other reason why I thought, well, the golf space is there's all the big guys. I'm never going to compete with the big guys. But I'm, I know these great people. And I thought maybe I just, can just have conversations with these great people who love golf but aren't necessarily golf pros. Yep. And, and the concept of my love of golf, it's not about me. My lo- you know, if I ask you, tell me about your love of golf, I would hope that you would answer, well, my love of golf, Ross, is. And that was sort of the, yep. answer, the, the reason by the name. It's not my love of golf. My love of golf is understanding your love of golf. So that was, uh, I guess, the reason for the name and the reason for the podcast. And I just started with a very good friend of mine who's still a great friend, Dennis Armfield from the Carlton Footy Club. He had just transitioned out of playing professional football Aussie rules, and uh, he he agreed to come on as my first guest. Yeah, wow. So he gave me a go, told me his story. We sat down at his uh, place of work. I had a couple of record uh, recorders and a little microphone, and and off we went. and uh, And that was the start of it. And then I've had some other great guests along the journey. You know, a couple of other footballers, Zach Tui, who's a mate of mine, the Irish player for Geelong. He gave me a crack. I had a couple of mates. I met a monster truck driver. Um, Justin Sipes, who was a who I knew from from motocross, you know, I knew Justin and Ryan Sipes from the motocross days, and you know he'd raced alongside Chad Reed, who was from the Hunter Valley, and yeah, right. You know, I knew Chad from uh, my mo- from motorcycle days, not as a kid, and um, oh, I said, oh, you love golf, you're in town driving yeah. a monster truck. He's from Kentucky. <laughs> he said, yeah, I am. I said, can we talk about me? Talk to golf with me for half an hour? Yeah, no worries. So that was, and it just went like that, mate. And yeah, that's that's cool. I, I look, I, I think the podcast is great. It's a uh, in my head, and 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 um, I haven't said this to you before, and and I keep trying to think of. Um, I, I love the the format. I love the interviewing. I love the the people that you you talk to and all that sort of stuff. And and um, I in my head, I call in my head, I call you the Mike Willsey of golf. You, you, the, <laughs> yeah. Now, for those that don't know, Mike Willsey is a great Australian journalist, uh, um, former Australian journalist. He's no longer with us, sadly, but he he's always back in the day in the in the nineties, and you know, he he. I remember him for interviewing amazing characters and personalities, and he was done. This is your life, and all that sort of stuff. And and every time I I, I sit down to listen to, or, or I'm driving and listening to the My Love of Golf podcast, I'm like a picture. For some reason, I picture you, Roscoe, just sitting back in the chair, just just interviewing someone behind. I know you do it on the mic, and I know they're not always in the studio <laughs> with you, but I I got Roscoe's the Mike Willisy of golf podcasting, golf well, interviewing. That's how I see it. I'll take that. I'll take that as a compliment. Thank you very much. Well, <laughs> you know what? Um, just the fact that I know that you listen, and that that's a compliment enough. And for me, I I sit here and really honestly think that no one listens. It's just me talking. I put it out into the interwebs and, you know, I know people listen to it, but I don't yeah. think that anyone listens to it or why would they have an interest? But they they do and yep. that's that's knowing that alone is enough to make me want to keep uh, improving and doing it better. I think if you listen to the early podcasts, you know, you see how I've, I guess, improved and grown. You know, some of the technology helps that. The, you know, yep. Having a microphone makes you sound better and things like that. I've really had to work hard at not doing the ums and the ahs and that sort of thing. And that, and you just, that is that. difficult in and, itself. And, and you learn that. And, you know, obviously sometimes you can edit things like that out. I try, I, my early podcast, I didn't edit at all. Yep. And then I realized oh, I probably need to start, you know, 
taking some of the gaps out and changing some of the arms. And the Scots, you know, we have this very big thing for saying, you know, you know, you know. It's a very Celtic thing, you know, you know. And I say that a lot, you know. So <laughs> really try hard to work on that. But uh, I appreciate that, Steve. Um, I, I love talking to people about uh, their golf, and but I also love talking to them about what they do. And I'm, I'm trying harder to incorporate, I guess, somewhat messages in, in the tone of the podcast. Like I had a bit of a thing with a, a podcast um, guru who lives around the corner from me and you know, we had a bit of a training session. He said, you know, entertainment or information. You know, people have to be taking away some value out of it. So I, I really try and have those two themes running running through, like the Andy Proudman one. I really wanted to talk to him about his, his own podcast. Not so much yep. about me and my golf. You know, he's massive. And I was blown away when he said, yes, I will come on your podcast, Ross. I couldn't believe it. I was nervous as nervous as anything. Um, but I just wanted to talk to him about his podcast because I, I listened to his own. It's called uh, Live Like a Legend. Just a Monday, yep. he puts it out Monday morning. It's a short, sharp 20 minutes, just about the things that he's working on as a personal development side. And I just love listening to, to him. And we talked about that. And I think people got a lot of value out of hearing Andy's take on some of the development uh, topics that he talks about. So that was a theme in the COVID period. You know, I had Scott Jamison, the leader of uh, the Melbourne City Football Club. We talked about leadership. You know, we talked about how he influences the young boys around the team. We talked about a bit of golf and a bit of fun and his mate Luke Bratton, who's a mate, and uh, we talked about all of that. That was good. Uh, talked about Stuart Kerr and his story, you know. So inspirational. Yeah. Yeah. I just yeah, like talk- no, mate. I just like talking to people, as you can probably tell. I'm <laughs> rambling on. I like, I like. I talk to you for an hour, mate. Two hours. I talk to you for as long as you know, as we could. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and like I said, it's a. I, I love that side of of your podcast. I think it's really good. And and um, you know, I I got into podcasting because I, look, my wife does it. And I'll, a quick plug to her: she's Pink Cow Social. Um, my wife Bree, she's. She's always, oh, she's been doing it for a little while now, a little podcast with um, women in business and that sort of thing. And and I used to listen to her record and she was, you know, um, always doing this and the podcasting thing. It was really enjoyable interviewing and I, I like listening to that as well. And she helps people with the social media side of things. But once I started listening to yours, I was like, wow, that's that's a cool golf podcast. And and mine is quite different, I suppose, to a certain extent. It's more about the how how golf and presentation and the landscape of golf courses, you know, how it affects your golf. But I'll interview people along the way, hopefully like yourself, about your passion of golf. Um, but I've got to be honest, you, mate, and you don't know this, but you really got me to think about doing the podcast because I'd heard yours and I really enjoyed it and I liked it and I thought, you know what? I wonder how difficult it is to do and there's a, there's certainly a bit of nous to it. But, um, yeah, listening to yours really got me the drive to do the golf side of it. Um, and I picked up a lot of cues from my wife and, and, and what she's done. But the the inspiration behind actually getting off my backside and doing a golf one was from you. So there you go, mate. I'll, I'll be honest, straight up. I appreciate that, mate. I really do. And, you know, that if if I didn't hit the record button ever again, you know, and, and had that as my final parting thought, that would be uh, – in a podcasting <laughs> sense, of course, not, not in a life sense. Um, that would be great, mate, because I appreciate that, and that's great. I love, I love knowing that. And, and I had, you know, funny, funnily enough, you say that, and that makes me think back. I can, I can remember, I had an influence, sim- somewhat similar, and not in a golfing sense. There's a young chap who is no longer a professional footballer, but he's a very funny character. It's called <laughs> D- Dylan Buckley. Now, Dylan right. Buckley was a young son of a Carlton legend. 
came into play at Carlton Footy Club and I met him at the golf shop, helped the boys with uh, some golf clubs. You know, he was one of them. Just a great young kid. And one day he posted on his Instagram a picture of a Zoom recorder, a Zoom Handy H5, which is one of the things that I had. And it just looked like this weird contraption. And I remember messaging him saying, what's that deal? He says, oh, it's a recorder and I'm going to start a podcast. And I'm, right. And I was at Foster. I was up at Foster, staying in Foster yeah. a couple of years ago. And I remember this message exchange with him. And uh, and I was listening to some podcasts on the drive and I was with my wife and I said, I'm going to start this podcasting. If if Dylan Buckley's starting a podcast, you know, this young fellow who, you know, I didn't credit that he would – he's a talented guy, but I didn't think that he would do that. I thought if he can start a podcast, so can I. And and I messaged him back and said, mate, Thanks very much because, uh, you know, you, you helped inspire me to want to do that. So Dylan Buckley, who's now one of the, you know, his Dylan friends it's called, uh, he interviews guys and uh, he's quite funny. It's one of the biggest in the sports category. Um, he's gone from strength to strength. But, yeah, there, there you go. Yeah, no, very very good. Good, Another good part of, of the My Love of God podcast. Now begin. Now, mate, um, you know, we talked, you touched on some of the personalities that you've been able to interview along the way. And one of your more recent ones was um, a big name in, I suppose, the golf um, media, internet media side of it was Eric Anders Lang. Mm. And I've listened to that podcast. I, you know, he was, he's a, he's a really interesting personality. I love seeing his stuff and, and listening to, I, I really enjoyed your interview with him. You know, how did you, what were your feelings when Eric said yes to come on to the podcast and you, you know, yep, I'll be part of it. Come on, let's go. Let's talk Ross. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> Frankly, I couldn't believe it. Um, I, I, I just asked Andy Proudman, you know, sorry. And to go back to Andy Proudman, because it led me on to asking Eric and, I want to inter- I, I would have wanted to interview Eric two years ago, you know, a year and a half ago because, you know, I've been following his journey and, and his progression in the ranks and uh, I just really, like you said, you know, I'm a fan of his work, you know, I'm a fanboy. But uh, it was it was Andy Proudman that one day he, he put a podcast out and he said the message was, if you don't ask, you don't get. And I'm like, you know what, Ross, you know, as many guests as I've had, you know, I'm always nervous about asking. It's, it's not something that comes yeah. natural to, to me. And I just put more, probably more barriers in front of my mindset about asking than just just asking. So I went to Andy and said, Andy, you know I listen to your podcast. Thanks very much. You said if you don't ask, you don't get. So I'm going to ask you, can you come on my podcast? And he went, no worries, Ross, no problems. <laughs> so that was that one. And then I yep. just, after talking to Stu Kerr, who's Eric's best mate, I didn't talk to Stu about it. But then I just asked Eric and I said, Eric, this is what I think. This is what I want to talk about. What do you think? He went, yeah, okay, I've got some time. Let's do it on this day. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I knew, that you yeah. know, obviously I knew that it was going to be, you know, fairly, a fairly popular, uh, you know, and desirable th- person to talk to. And it was just a great conversation because I know his content so, you know, reasonably well. He was able to just, talk about the areas of interest that are important to him, the random golf club, uh, his own project in the Be The Ball movie, which will come out mm. in the future, uh, yep. and just some of the other work that he's done. You know, the, the video that he made with the Royal and Ancient, to think to think about at a greater level the changing landscape of golf media, you know, and the traditional paid advertising model and all of that sort of stuff, and it's all changing, and it's yep. changing because of people like Eric, you know, and how they can reach people. 
And then yeah. at the at the lower level, people like you and people like me that can reach another load of and load of people. So it's all changing. And to see that the RNA went to Eric and said, "Can you help us make a video about the open?" Yeah, you know, like it's Eric Anders Lang who's just a contemporary golf content creator, but the RNA are going to him. That shows the level of influence that he's got, and it also to me showed that the RNA are serious about changing, serious about broadening yeah. their appeal. And if you go onto the One Golf, the RNA um, website and subscribe, you get access to the full video. And it's just great. You know, it's got Tom Watson, who was a childhood hero of mine. It's got Jack Newton, who was a childhood mentor and hero of mine, showing their uh, playoff at Carnoustie. Shows Eric with Tom Watson at um, maybe it was Port Rush last year. That was just fantastic. So to talk to Eric, and it was really no problems. He made it so comfortable, so easy. I was, once again, nervous as hell. We had a mess up with the Zoom you know, you and I got onto Zoom this morning. It was no problems. I sent him two yep. zo- two Zoom inf- uh, invitations. He yeah, was right. he was sitting on one. I was sitting on the other. <laughs> and then I realised that. And then I had this panic. And anyway, it was all worked yeah. out in the end. You know, no, mate. Look, it was a great interview. I really enjoyed it. Uh, enjoyed listening to it as I have done. I think I've smashed out. I hadn't listened to yours for. Uh, for a number of weeks and then I sort of smashed out I think about six in the last five days no, thank you. It's, uh, it's been great listening so uh, mate well done on all of that and and, and uh, getting those types of people is a big look it's a it's certainly a big deal and so you should feel very proud because I, I think it's great listening to and I, I do enjoy it so well done can I, can I well just done, talk, mate. can I just talk about one other episode because yeah I, I was very happy to in, be able to interview Eric and where do you go from there I'll, I'll just keep going but <laughs> but the the light, latest episode uh, the interview with Mel, a chaplain with Mel Hughes. Mate, yes. Mate, Go on. I, I don't want to spoil it for people who, who may want to listen if they if, when they do listen to this, but I, I really... I have I have listened to it, if, and, yep, I'll let you talk, yeah. If if you're a golf nut, golf nerd, golf tragic, and, and just love a story about someone who you've never heard of, but you just listen to this, sit down with a cup of tea, a whiskey, a scotch, or whatever it is that your, your tipple is, Sit back and it's like reading a magazine that you don't want to stop turning the pages of because he just starts talking about his life, uh, his his early part of his life in terms of where he was from, who he got taught golf by, who he got to sit alongside on the range when he got taught golf by Bob Tosky, who's a legend of golf coaching in America, and then just some of the other experiences. You know, So we're talking about a person that flew a plane before he could drive a car, got taught by Bob Tosky and got to meet Gary Player, Jack Nicholas, Arnold Palmer, and share the range with them and do all that sort of thing. Was a personal aide and assistant to Bobby Jones. Played Augusta more times than he can remember. Uh, launched rockets to outer space. Flew aircraft for Top Gun. Uh, you just, it just, you, you can't stop listening. It was just amazing to be able to get access to, to Mel, and I thank my friend John Cornish for that. But it, uh, I could listen to that several times. Mate, it, it was incredibly captivating mm. to listen to and and for anyone who who's listening to my podcast and if you haven't listened to the my love of golf honestly go and hunt down the mel hughes interview and it's over two parts but it is compelling and if 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 it was a book without being prefaced by this is real life you you honestly think that no one could roll that into one life it's it's quite incredible, and you, you throw in things like rocket scientists and all these things. I mean, these are these are terms that we, I joke about with people, and you know, it's not rocket science. Who do you think you are? You're a rocket scientist. But 
exactly. Top Gun, all this sort of stuff. It's uh, I won't spoil it for anyone else who hasn't listened to it. I can only say go and do yourself a favor and hunt it down um, because yeah. it, it's compelling, captivating, entertaining, incredible, uh, mesmerizing, all the above. Uh, mate, and well done again for that one because, like you said, where do you go from Eric Anders Lang? Um, you get this unknown name, and I don't mean that derogatory in a derogatory way, unknown person, unknown name to certainly us in Australia. And I, I couldn't stop. I just want to go back and listen to it again. <laughs> Mate, and to combine the fact that he's played two or three, you know, top 100 lists, you know, he's played no. every decent golf course in the world that you could ever dream of two times over and he's an awesome <laughs> photographer as, as well. But uh, the thing is, you know, you, you ask where do you go from Eric and I, it's a question that someone's asked me else and I've asked myself, you know, what? it doesn't matter. I don't, I don't yeah. I, I'm not doing it for how many downloads and all of that sort of thing. I just do it to be able to share some, have a conversation with people who love golf. And, you know, if that's Mel, if that's, you know, my neighbor up the road, who's a, you know, t- a, pri- a principal at a school teaching kids and they've got a golf program, I'll do that. Um, I'll just, I'll find, keep finding people who want to talk and share golf stories and, you know, as long as I can add some value to the people who are listening, that's that's the main motivation, mate. No, very good, mate. And, and yeah, compelling and well done again on another one. They're, they're always, and like you said, it doesn't matter who they are. They're, they're, they're great to listen to, great stories, and, and people who have got stories to tell, which is awesome. I appreciate it. Mate, appreci- uh, appreciate I'll you. ask you a couple of things. We'll break away a little bit from the podcast for, for a couple more questions to finish off. But uh, you're a member of PK. I'm a huge fan of the redevelopment of Peninsula Kingswood. Anyone who doesn't know it, if you haven't seen me banging on about it, and I don't even live in Melbourne, um, you know, you've been living under a rock because it's quite incredible um, to, to see it, let alone go and play it. If What a wonderful home club for you. <laughs> I've got to be honest. You've got to be pretty happy with that, of course, every day. But um, I love that, you know, you do get around and travel a bit. You play other courses. You're a well-experienced uh, sort of golfer in, in terms of uh, understanding what a course is uh, made up of and what it what it's uh, what it what's good to make up a good golf course what mm-hmm. to look at what to play for all that sort of stuff if you could name any golf course in australia because i'm big on australian courses if you could name another golf course in australia that you could that you would be happy and love to call your second golf home out of your experience where you play what would that be name name it yes okay i can do that and that's pretty easy because i'm going to play it today <laughs> <laughs> seriously uh, I'm, I'm unashamedly biased towards golf in the sandbelt. Um, yep. Being now a Victorian, I know that's you know there's a New South Welshman, Stevie. I know I'm, I've defected, Boy. I've defected, but we I, won't I, talk about the Mexicans. So that's okay. But yeah. <laughs> I have, I probably have been living in Victoria longer than I lived in New South Wales. So let's say I'm a Victorian. I'm, I'm pretty passionate about sandbelt golf, and I'm yep. lucky enough to be uh, a member at PK, as you mentioned. But there is another course that's on the Mornington Peninsula that I love. And it's just something about the layout, the design, the landscape, the topography, where it is, the style of course, and St Andrews Beach. I just, you know, I, I love St Andrews Beach. I love, I'm a fan of Tom Doak. Uh, most of Tom Doak's work that I've experienced, and that's maybe a handful of courses. Yep. I like his strategy. I like the way he's fair off the tee, but challenging into the, the green environment. And I've had a couple of, uh, as I said, experiences with his courses in Australia and overseas. But I just love St Andrews Beach. And I love what it's become from a 
from a, a bad story, you know, like a bad start. Yeah. It was one of those new courses with a big model and sold expensive memberships and it went bust. And yeah. I don't know how many owners it's had, but it's now got an owner which just keeps it pretty much as a public pay-to-play golf course. Yeah. Uh, little clubhouse, you know, it's almost like a temporary demandable building. Pay your green fees, get your cart or walk. It's too far to walk mainly, but that's the only one thing about it that sometimes it's a long, long, long walk. But uh, I just love playing that that course. And if once again, if you said you can only go down the road and play there, I'd be very, very happy. Very happy. Mate, I, I, um, I'm actually, I didn't know what you were going to pick, to be honest. I didn't know where in the country you were going to say. And um, I, when I went to Melbourne, uh, what was now, I think it was about a couple of years ago, um, and I caught up with one of my followers, incidentally, sort of said, you know, if you're coming to Melbourne, let's go and have a bash. And, and we ended up going to SAB, uh, St. Andrews Beach, mm. and it's just the wonderland. Mm. I, I, it's such an entertain. It's like, it's like walking into Luna Park and you, everywhere you turn, it's fun. Mm. That's how I view St. Andrews Beach. And it's not, again, everyone views courses differently. It's, it's a taste, a personal taste thing, and I get that. Um, but when I played St. Andrews Beach, man, it's just like you said, the, the, the way that, that Tom Doak has sort of have done his design, his routing, the way he's used the movement in the land, um, the, the way that our holes traverse those dunes and the, the rolling hills. And um, it, it is wildly entertaining. I, I, I absolutely love it. But and, um, yeah, interesting just, pick, but a, a great pick. I'm, I'm really impressed that you did pick that one. Well, you know, the easy pick would have gone to, you know, maybe – pick Royal Melbourne or one of the other trophy sure. courses, you know, it would only be outside of Peninsula Kingswood, Royal Melbourne would is my other favourite um, by by head and shoulders, you know, P- PK and Royal Melbourne, head and shoulders above every, everything else. I love the national properties. I love what they're doing and all of that sort of thing. But, yep. um, you know, the reason for St Andrews Beach is, you know, I love Sandbelt Golf, but the other thing that is my passion is Lynx Golf. You know, take me to Scotland and put me over there and play golf, as I said at the start. Whether it's a, a flat links or a dunes oriented links, love that. The northwest coast of Ireland, you know, you had Nick on the podcast yes. last week, and you know, Nick and I have connected, and, and we could talk about the northwest coast of Ireland, Donegal golf, um, all down through that west coast. I just, you know, that's escapism for me. You know, I I don't care if I'm with people or with myself, and I played played a lot of times over there by myself, and you know, that's like. I don't know what taking drugs is all about, but you know, if, if you if you do get to escape when you do that sort of thing, that's my 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 drug, and uh, and I just escape when I'm at a place like that. And St Andrews Beach to me, and and I need to get to Barnburgle in fairness, but in terms of access, St Andrews Beach gives me that type of feeling. Yeah, cool. No, good choice, mate. Very cool. Very cool. And um, I. And a question that I'm intrigued in because I, I do love your balanced opinion and your experience. So I, I think you've got uh, a lot to give in in sort of ex- expert opinion in, in my view. Um, and being in retail and the way that you are and, and through your experiences, you get to see lots of different types of people from the sport and you see lots of different types of people coming into the sport as you touched on earlier. And something that, that I think we always talk about in golf, but um, maybe – the, the sport as a whole or maybe those that govern the, the sport in Australia, don't know, maybe could do things better. But what do you think that golf as a sport could do better? From what you – because you're at the front line of, of people saying, you know, I don't like this or I don't like that or this is what I love and I, I'm glad, you know, but this has my, been my hurdle. Mm. What do you think is probably something pertinent right now to golf in Australia? Because 
everyone talks about a, a decline and, and, you know, that it's struggling to be relevant in space and time usage and all that sort of thing. In your view, through, through what you've seen and what you've heard and what you've experienced, what do you think? It's a broad question, I get it. But what do you think is probably one of the things that, that the sport could do better right today? Yeah, interesting. I'll start by answering the part of the answer in terms of, you know, when I hear people say, oh, golf's in decline. Right now, at this current time, golf is booming. You know, yep. and I see that through the people in the store, but I also get access to seeing uh, some of the rounds being played and the numbers of people that are on golf courses at the moment. Yes. Because it's perceived as a sport that we can do safely. Uh, you know, you can socially distance and do all of that relatively um, easily. Yep. The golf clubs can now follow the guidelines that are in place that all businesses that, you know, have people in them have to follow. So golf, you can get onto a golf course and just go and do it. Some of the other sports, you know, a little bit challenged in that space. So what's happened now is golf's booming. People, you know, guys that I've never seen in the shop are playing, wanting golf clubs because they want to go and play with their mates who are golfers. So golf's in a really good time at the moment to be able to capitalise on this growth, this spurt that it's had, and to harness that and to help it get to the next level, which is a more sustainable platform. So people do it more and more often. Now, I think to answer your question is, and I, I talked a little bit about this with Mike Orloff in a recent episode, who's an industry expert, and he had a great article around marketing golf to the millennials. Now, there's all the old guys like me and, and the guys older than me that are traditional golfers, but it's this millennial demographic and the younger people that we really need to focus on. So we really need to create pathways and environments that young people can come into golf, feel like they're having an entertaining experience, and then create an environment where they can want to stay and be a part of. And sometimes I think clubs get in the way of that. You know, they're quite rigid, a lot of rules, a lot of different ways of doing golf that have been traditional for a long time. Thankfully, since my day, one of the key things that's moved on is I don't have to wear long socks anymore. And it, <laughs> and now in a, in a revelation at Peninsula Kingswood, you know, we can actually wear black short socks with black shoes which was a new thing, but that paints an example. And there are traditions, and I get that, and I respect every club's tradition. Yep. But I think we just need to have a look at what we're going to do for this younger group of people and how we make that pathway into being a golfer for a longer period of time, for a more sustainable period of time, a, a, a realistic opportunity. Because there is a hurdle where... You know, you get to that 30s and 40s age group where there's um, parents and financial and all of those sorts of things that get in the way of golf sometimes because it can be expensive. So just these pathways, whether it's membership models, whether it's opportunities to play differently, you know, look at what bowls did 20 years ago. They had Friday night bowls with no shoes on. Now, (laughs) find out what golf's version of bowls with no shoes on and allow people to come to clubs that they might not otherwise get access to. Yeah. King, Kingston Heath, for example, you know, at the moment they've got a, a ladies' membership pathway where you don't have to have the four nominate, the four, five or six, you know, people recommending you. You don't have to pay your ten, fifteen, twenty thousand $20,000 entry fee. You just pay a, a reasonable fee and the ladies get access to the golf course and it's for a defined period of time, but then they can have the option to join. Yeah, they've, right. they've got a whole load of ladies down there doing that at Kingston Heath on this access pathway. Now imagine if 
golf clubs took up strategies like that, created entry points for people to come into golf. And I, I just think that clubs that harness that attitude and, and have their own version of that will be the ones that will be successful in growing their their membership base and creating back to what you know you and I talked about it yesterday, you know, 71 juniors playing Sunday yeah. mornings at Cessnock Golf Club in, in the 80s. Those, yeah. those, those days are not there anymore and, and the potential is for it to be there. Yeah, it, it is. And, and I, I, I dare say those at the moment as it stands in terms of juniors, those days are nearly long gone from, from how many clubs I know that had, had serious numbers of juniors, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60 plus um, that were junior members of their club. But you're right, it, it's pathways. It, very well said, mate. Good to um, good to hear your opinion on that because I think uh, that a lot of, of people um, with with good opinions from within the industry of different sides of it, albeit, um, have have opinions that I think the sport should should start to listen to a little bit more. And you touched on Mike Orloff, and I listened to your interview with Mike. I've I've spoken to Mike a few times over the last couple of years. Uh, very very good brain in terms of sort of marketing side of golf, and and he does a lot of work with clubs and assisting them to to work out how best to, uh, you know, uh, get, introduce um, new members, new people, new participants to the sport, that sort of thing. And I, I think clubs need to open their minds a little bit more to it because um, that, they just need to get their heads. Up. I'll, say it, I'll say it straight up because I know I've been part of in the past and, and uh, I've seen plenty of examples and I know people in them where clubs, I'll say they do it very wrong. Um, and, and they keep their doors closed. I think more clubs need to work out how to open their doors to different types of people mm. because, um, you know, people do change and habits change and all that sort of stuff in the sport over generations and, and, and we can say over centuries in, in, in years gone by in other countries where the, the sport evolves. As much as landscapes evolve, the sport itself has to evolve with civilizations and with, with social um, interactions with each other and, and our use of our time. So, mate, well said, and I think it's a great opinion. I will say one other thing, a couple, two other things on that point. You know, it does; these things do exist in other parts of the world. You know, you've got some great golf courses. Use Scotland as, as an example that have public access to great properties. Um, you know, right now it's it's harder to get public access to some of the great properties in in Australia. So, you know, yep. that's maybe as much of a tourism thing. That's maybe not a growth of the game, but. But people are travelling to these destinations to go and play these great courses. I think sometimes there's a few barriers to, to that here in Australia. But the other thing I think quite – and I don't have the answer and I'm not knowledgeable in the background of it all, but at an administrative level, you know, all I hear and see is, you know, the bodies of golf that are responsible for the development and the growth of the game, be it at state level and national level, are trying to integrate but I don't think they're getting that integration right. You know, Golf Australia, you've still got some state-based factions that are, you know, breaking away from Golf Australia. And then you've got the PGA on another hand, and the PGA, you know, looking after the professional game, Golf Australia, the mm. amateur game. It's all golf. And, <laughs> you know, Andy Andy Marr spoke on the Inside the Ropes podcast uh, a couple of episodes ago with a group of guys, Mike Clayton, um, Hazy, a few others, and they talked about, what the pathway could look like. And yep. Andy's like a big proponent that the golf body should just be all one and the, the professional game should work with Golf Australia. Now, the Golf Australia host the Oz Open and then the PGA host the PGA and they're, they're conflicting and fighting against each other. Now, if you know the 
golf at a professional level is one of the draw cards, one of the reasons why you, you want to aspire to be a golfer, want to aspire to be watch golf, want to aspire to go to golf. They, those people need to work together and, and make a product you know, that's welcoming and inviting and easy to access. And you know, to hear stories like the PGA are telling pros not to sign to go to the Oz Open – you know, and sign contracts not to play that tournament, you know, that, that doesn't make sense to me. And as I say, I'm not an administrator and I can't buy into it at all, but when I hear that, I just think there's a barrier, fix it. Yeah. You know, just get together and fix it. Easy to say for little old Roscoe, my love of golf podcast, I'm sitting here once a week, <laughs> you know, churning out some dribble, but just fix it, guys. Get together and fix it. It's, yeah. You know, Andy, yep, Andy, yep. Andy Ma, he's like, I don't understand. And I'm, I'm fairly much in his camp. But uh, easy for us to say. <clears throat> yeah, no, no. Well, mate, and and, you, and we're always going to talk about it. If it's a way of improving the game, and, and even even openly opinionated about those uh, political, I'll say political, because more often than not, that's what it's based around mm. is um, a political sort of sides and angles and and uh, opinions. So, uh, you know, we. We as a sport, anyone involved in it, it just needs to be for the for the uh, solution, and um, not trying to you know, retain factions of control and whatever it might be. I just think we need to move past a lot of that. So, to, just so we can keep improving, especially at the moment, mate. You know, the 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 interest in eyeballs on golf has never been greater with the amount of 100%. people grassroots. So now's the time to act. Anyway, that's absolutely, fine. mate. Absolutely. Well, look, Roscoe. Thank you so much for the chat today. I really appreciate your time. It's been wonderful getting to know the person of who you are behind the My Love of Golf podcast, your journey and your passion for the sport along the way, and some of your interactions with certain personalities as well, um, and, and, and your mentors through your life has uh, brought you to who you are. I think it's really fascinating, really intriguing, and, and I've certainly enjoyed talking to you about it. I hope my listeners have enjoyed listening. It's uh, It's been wonderful. Well, I was a bit funny about talking for myself when uh, at the start uh, when you asked me, Steve, but I've actually enjoyed talking about myself, so maybe there's something in that. But I've never actually told anyone that story at that length and that detail for that breadth of time, so I appreciate very much the opportunity to do that. And, you know, for the people that do listen, if they want to reach out to me, if they have any questions, if there's anything that I can do to help them, feel free. I'm sure that Steve will in the, in the show notes will put my Instagram uh, accounts for my love of golf and my own personal one for ross.flanagan.golf. Uh, feel free to reach out at any time. I'd love to see you listening to the podcast as well. That would be that would be the biggest uh, thank you if you could Ab- just listen. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah. Absolutely, mate. To anyone listening, it's the My Love of Golf podcast is where we can find you through the podcast world and, and your Instagram handle. You've got My Love Podcast Instagram as well. Yeah, there's My Love of Golf is the Instagram uh, handle for the podcast where the promotional posts go out for that. So it's yep. just My Love of Golf or one word, at My Love of Golf. Uh, there's occasional Twitter there. There's uh, YouTube, which is developmental. Uh, there's a website, which is developmental, but you know, growing, uh, all myloveofgolf.com. Um, and then my own sort of golfing journey, I guess you could say, is at Ross. Dot Flanagan, that's F-L-A-N-N-I-G-A-N dot golf, Ross dot Flanagan dot golf. And you'll see some pretty much pictures of Peninsula pretty much all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, that's about it. <laughs> maybe, the, very maybe the occasional one from Scotland, that's it. Yeah. Very, very good, mate. Well, to everyone listening, go and find Roscoe. Uh, go and see some of his journey and things that he loves about the sport um, and his podcasting and so on and all that sort of stuff in his travels. And uh, Roscoe, look, one one last thing I'll ask you. 
would you mind, I love your insights, I love your opinions, and, and certainly you, you get to see some of the different equipment and things along the way through your retail business. You, would you mind popping back in every now and then if I give you a yell and we can talk about what's latest and greatest and, and I'll, I'll pose you some questions in the industry? Mate, if you want to talk about some products, you know, right here in my hand, I have the latest Fujikura Power Surge shaft. I'm going to put that into play today. Wow, that's uh, cool. It, it's not a standard shaft. Um, it was loaned to me by Fujikura. They want me to have a little play of that. So if you want to hear about things like that and why, what makes a Fujikura shaft an $1,100 shaft alone, uh, I'm, happy okay. to, I'm happy to talk <laughs> about as much as I'm able to tell everyone about uh, products. Um, I'm certainly not the the authority across the world, but I know I know a bit about a bit, so I'm happy to, as you can tell, have, happy to have a chat about all of that sort of stuff. No problems. Unreal. Unreal. Would love to have you back uh, sooner rather than later, Roscoe. Well, thank you so much, Ross, for your time. Really appreciate the, uh, I'll say, the journey and conversation and uh, look forward to catching up again soon. And anyone listening, go and find out a bit about Ross Flanagan from My Love of Golf as well. Thank you, Steve. Appreciate it, mate. And great job in your podcast. And I've loved listening into uh, the first uh, few episodes. And, mate, keep it up. Just keep it up. Just keep going. Thanks, mate. Appreciate it. Excellent work, buddy.